0: Scripture tonight is brought from John 19, verse 26 and 27 from Brother Andrew's lesson tonight. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own house. Good evening. It is... Uh, another blessed opportunity we have to be able to come out tonight to worship God in spirit and in truth and how he would see fit for us to be doing. Tonight, lesson, or, uh, turning to attention to our lesson tonight, it's going to be part seven of Lessons from the Crucifixion. This is the continuation of our series of lessons that we have looked at so far through the, through the year of 2019. Beginning in January and coming to now, we're arriving tonight at Part 7. And if if it be the will of God, I have planned roughly three more lessons in this series that we will continue to look at. I hope the lessons have been helpful to us as we have studied the crucifixion in detail. I know certainly for myself, studying and preparing the materials, you learn something new uh, in slightly different ways every time. And it's great to be able to add that to our walk as Christians. So for our uh, slide of introduction tonight, the last part of our series of lessons we have covered, have been covering and will continue to do the same, of the words that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross. The seven things that he spoke, we have looked at forgiveness already and as well as paradise was our last lesson last month. But tonight we're going to be coming to the next thing as the gospel accounts reveal to us and that is provision and care for family. It can certainly be said in the spring of 30 A.D. the human family witnessed this event, an event unlike any other. This event truly changed how individuals come to God and it changed the course of eternity for everyone. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the Hebrew writer by inspiration said on that occasion, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, from the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He is the one that undertook the load of our sin And by whom we have salvation. And doesn't it stir your heart as it does mine in looking at those Old Testament prophecies that we see in the book of Isaiah. Of how God the Father would send Jesus in due time to walk among men, proclaim heaven's will, and ultimately go through this death as he did. This was the reason why he was born. And without this, this death, and without the resurrection, we, of course, know that we could not have a hope of eternal salvation. But the Bible has much to say about care for our families, both physically and overwhelmingly spiritually, a provision for our families. And Jesus had that in mind in the dying words, in the dying in his dying breath, in his last moments upon, uh, physically upon this earth. As we then turn to the next slide, care and provision. And when we consider these things, of the things that Jesus spoke of while on the cross, this picture we have looked at before at least gives us an idea of likely, What Jesus was under. Remember, he had been scourged. Before that, he had gone through a sleepless night in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew that every sin that would ever be committed by anyone in the human family from that point on until whenever the end of time would be, would be heaped upon him. You may remember the great drops of blood as recorded for us in Luke that that perspired from his body as he prayed to the Father. And, of course, that band led by Judas came. They arrested him. They brought him before Pilate. He was then mocked, tried, by the Sanhedrin council as well, and then ultimately scourged, beaten mercilessly, a crown of thorns plaited on his head, and ultimately nailed to the cross being suspended between heaven and earth. And in that condition, you may think that he was barely to the point of not being able to speak at all, but yet he found the strength to say these things. In John 19 chapter I'm sorry, John chapter 19 verses 20 and 26, our lesson text, there is was read for us earlier. The third thing that Jesus spoke of as recorded for us on the cross and the pain that he was under, and the duress that he was under, he found the w- words when He looked on his mother beginning in verse verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom He loved, He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. This disciple being that of John, John the apostle of love as he is known, the disciple of love as he is known, Jesus saw fit and was concerned about the care and his mother and Mary in the remainder portion of her life. He was concerned with her, both her physical condition in her later years of life, but as well as her spiritual condition. And we may remember Joseph is not mentioned on this occasion throughout the entirety of of really uh, the crucifixion within itself. It is likely that by this point of Jesus, in Jesus' life that Joseph had already passed away. Now, we don't know that, and I say that carefully. But it's very likely that he had done passed on. But when he saw his mother, he turned to John, and he said, Behold thy mother. And also first he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. He knew that John would take care of her for the remainder portion of his life, for her life. But something interesting that I found interesting as I was preparing for this lesson is that you may well remember that Jesus had physical brothers. Their brethren as described in John chapter 7, verse 5. But there was a problem here. His own physical brothers that Mary raised and that that Mary and Joseph had they didn't believe in him so do you suppose that for G, for Mary's spiritual life remainder of life in the flesh you suppose that Jesus had that in mind it's certainly a possibility not allowing her care to be overseen by the, by those by his brethren because if, they would have, if she would have been in that, she could, her, t- her faith could have been tested. And you and I, as well as we're going to learn tonight, our faith can be tested as well with how our family interacts around us. So with those points in mind and for the remainder part of the lesson tonight, we're going to take care and provision and apply them to, to two aspects in each of our lives as well as, as, we, as we function as a family to be pleasing to God. And the first one, on this next slide, care for a godly family. Ever since the dawn of creation, God created a family. He, of course, created Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, we can recall back into our minds. And God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over, over, over the fish of the, of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God specifically made human beings in his own image as well as you and I. The text says here that we are not animals. We are over animals. And also in verse 27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him. Male and female created he them. And from that point on, the world, physically as you and I know it, has been blessed with a family. Of course, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, that Adam and Eve, of course bore two sons Cain and Abel and we all know the story behind that but ever since then a family has been has walked upon the face of this planet at the dawn of creation but also death entered on that occasion that may be another sermon topic for a different occasion but the physical needs of life as are needed in every family You may remember in that text, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. There, uh, it is said of Abel that he was a keeper of sheep, but also Cain was a tiller of ground. So work, as was introduced, providing for families with food, clothing, shelter. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we are reminded that if a man don't work, neither should he eat. And we, we all know very well that we do provide physically for our families, those that are parents. We would always provide for our children. We would never let them strive to, strive to go hungry or go without clothes or go without food. But in turn of the children, it's also important that children are, have obligations too in a godly family. They are to honor their father and mothers, But I would call into your attention that we all, at any age, as long as our father and mother are physically still alive, have an obligation to care for them. Just as Jesus had insight for Mary in her elderly years in life and the remainder of her life in the flesh, In Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, we are given that description of the the scribes and the Pharisees coming once again to Jesus while he was still in his earthly ministry. Again, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1. Through six. They raised this question question for him about in verse two, and it reads like this with the question they had Why did thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, "It is a gift," by whatsoever thou mightest mightest be profited of me, and honour not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now this tradition that Jesus spoke of, and there is a, a word that is described that he was using toward, to to accuse them of this transgression that they were in, and it's called Corban. These individuals were, had promised uh, X amount of, of gifts, be it money or otherwise, already given to God, and they would say, it's Corban. I can't give it to anybody else but unto God. I've already made that commitment. But Jesus had a very different viewpoint on this in that they had taken that tradition too far. And not caring for their fathers or their mother, not honoring them in the way that has seen fit, and providing them the care that they need. This description can also be seen in another passage in First Timothy chapter four. I'm sorry, verse First Timothy chapter five, verse four. Under this description there, Paul is urging Timothy to be on guard and watch out for the safety of the church and caring for widows on this occasion, being the distinction between widows and widows indeed. And in verse 4 he says, But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show pity at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. If I may paraphrase that and digress from that passage and take some things from that, the church should not be burdened or taken advantage of by those, those children or those individuals whom are very well capable of taking care of their parents but simply choose not to. And it's a strong commandment for each of us those for our, to care for our parents appropriately and in the way God has set forth because the text says... For this is good and acceptable before God. Those children, and on that, in this case, those nephews, are obligated to supply those needs for their elderly parents in any way that they may see fit. We can also learn that old age is also something that can be cherished. Again, in Psalm 90, 92, verse 14, that how the wise... those can be wise at an old age, and how those that are young can learn from the wise. So providing for our families physically, God demands it, absolutely. But there's a far more greater commandment for each of us, be it with our families, be it with our neighbors, be it for distant relatives, and that's a spiritual provision. For Jesus had that in mind, again, for his mother about not leaving the care for her alone in the hands of his brethren. Because he knew very well, again, the text said that they did not believe in him. For influences of a family, many, many examples can be listed for an example of how godly parents influence their children. I've listed one for our consideration tonight. And it's an Old Testament example, an Old Testament family. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 12, we're given that great description of Abraham and Isaac. You may remember that God had gave command to Abraham to go up to the mount and to offer his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. But the the, the point of the matter is, for Isaac... We may, we're may quick to look through the eyes of Abraham and his faithfulness to God on that occasion with the ultimate test, but don't you suppose that that instilled within Isaac of just how dedicated that his father was to, the, to God, to the truth of God, and that should be serve as a test for all of us on how children look unto our parents, and for those that are parents we have a great monumental influence of where our children will spend eternity by how our children watch us in the way that we do and the way that we act in our everyday lives. And also another important note for influences of a family comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Timothy's grandmother Lois and, and his mother Eunice it is said of them that they raised him well they, they, they set before him the examples and teachings of God and expected him to live by them but that goes to say that parents do have an overwhelming task with this obligation and it's a test for all of us And for myself included, I don't have children uh, obviously yet, but if God blesses me with that, I I certainly will give my children to the teachings of God in the best way I know how for them. But I've listed some examples here that we can appreciate with, with learning this concept of a spiritual provision. What about marriage being the first one on that list? We all know that marriage in our land is absolutely degraded into really what man would have it seem. We learned that this morning with those rules. But there's a marriage that God has set forth. And a faithful Christian man and woman entering in marriage is something that God would overwhelmingly approve in his sight, they then become a powerhouse of faithful living and holding up his will within, them, within themselves for their children. But talking about the, the degrade, degrading of marriage in our society, I heard an example of a, a father. Now, he is not a member of the church by any means, but this speaks volumes of this example of how marriage is seen and portrayed for our children and for our young people. His teenage son had recently went, a break, got, went through a breakup with his, his girlfriend, and the dad came to him. He was in, in despair over it and, and was going through a depression over it, and his dad told him, he said, Son, I don't care who you marry or who you get with, be it man or woman, as long as you're happy and as long as that person will treat you well and with respect. Can you believe that a father would tell their son, young teenage son, to tamper with homosexuality if they like it? As long as you find somebody that is good to you, that speaks volumes of how our society and how, our, how the human family has trampled marriage into the ground. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, told of widows, and the principle is strong for each of us, especially for those who are young Christian men and women to marry in the Lord. find a spouse who will help that one get to heaven. You can help each other get to heaven. The second example is worship. Our children from a young age appreciate, should appreciate worship. How it is constructed, how it is to be brought about to be pleasing to God. And I know as well as I can remember when I was a small child coming to my parents and asking them questions. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why don't we do this? And for us, for those of us that are parents, and for those that are parents, we should be ready overwhelmingly with book, chapter, and verse to turn to the Scriptures to show them why we do what we do in worship to God in every aspect and in every, in every time that they ask. But as they get older and get into teenage years, specifically another example could be listed, and that's how they dress. That description of being, of dressing decently and dressing appropriately as Christians for both men and women is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in detail by Paul by inspiration in verses 15 through 20. As fathers no father should allow his son or daughter to walk out the door in something that is inappropriate they should set within them the morals of godly apparel and something that would be pleasing to God especially if they're Christians and when instilling, instilling with them at an early age on what to wear to be appropriate and that would be pleasing in God's sight. Another one could be entertainment. You know, our country and our world, quite frankly, is filled with entertainment. We've got TV, movies, radio, social media, and it can be overwhelming at times. But as those that are parents should overwhelmingly have control over what their children are allowed to do, where they're allowed to go, the time may come in middle school where That young boy may ask his parents to go to a school dance. And we should be ready, again, with book, chapter, and verse on why we are not allowing him to go. It's for his best interest. Although he may not like it, or the daughter may not like it at the time, they will appreciate it one day and see the truth on the matter. But also social media could be listed as well things that are posted on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. It, it's an absolute sinful. And the de- Satan by far has used those things to influence young people to do poor decisions for their health and for other things and not focus on God. And for, those, for parents for those that are parents, they should be monitoring that very closely. In Psalm chapter 127, verse 1, we are given a very strong principle there. The text reads, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If that family, that Christian family, does not have a respect for God, first and foremost, and don't set the things of God first, that house is in vain. But quite frankly, our world and every house that the world and families live in that's not members of the church. All those households are in vain without God. And we then can appreciate the guidance of wise Christian men and women. Fathers, you are given a command in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, Wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Also in Proverbs chapter twenty two, verse six, the text says, But train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they when he when the child is old he will not depart from it. That verse I've heard quite frankly, it's brought some challenge along in recent along the way but we better be careful if we try to look into that and try to stir up something that God has not revealed there. Someone may say, how can that text be when my child, got not living at home anymore, they fell away from the church, and they're lost, and they, they, and I tried every way, everything that I could to bring them to Christ and to show them the way. If parents have done everything that they can in every way bringing them to the truth of God and instilling with them those Bible lessons at a young age they may be in apostasy they may be in a life of rebellion but they still remember those teachings it's as if they are seared within their minds and learning those at a young age And although they may be going down a road that is not good at the time, they will remember those things. And we ought, as parents, if that's our case, if that's our situation, not beat ourselves up because we remember that Jesus couldn't save everybody. And we can't either. It has to be an individual choice. For a situation like that, prayer would be of utmost importance for that individual that we may can live in such a way in front of them to set the proper example of godly living. But children, you are not left out of this either. Children are told to honor thy father and mother in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through through 3 in that description. And although when they... When children start beginning at the age where they think that they like to do, want to get involved with things with their friends in the world, parent, as parents, they have to set rules out of love. That's very statement is given in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 in principle. And the children may not like it at first, but we have to set a strong foundation in those rules and making sure we keep them and know if they break them that there's consequences for it. Continuing on, to close our lesson tonight, we're going to look at a a slide of this slide I've entitled Legacy. Every house, every family, and everybody individually is built upon one of two things. Either on the rock or on a on the sand foundation. If you would like to be turning with me to that very thing as Jesus described it in Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty four through twenty seven, Jesus had just delivered the scene of the judgment about those that were religious but they were lost. And in verse 23, And he he will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But then he changes his... Continuing with that point to this. Therefore, verse 24, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. I'll stop reading there. For every family, if we are going to strive to serve God in a way he would have us, we have to build our lives and our families' lives on a rock, on the truth of God in every way, whether that be attending worship, the places we go for entertainment, Verse 26 And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. May I say that very description, and verses 26 and 27 overwhelmingly include the world which we live family situations, family living arrangements that we are faced with, that we see on TV and newscast and otherwise. They do not have appreciation of God. And the, great, and the greatness of the fall of their house will be great. It will be an eternally damning thing for them on the day of judgment. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 33, for those that will build a house on a rock and their foundation on a rock, we are told to seek ye first, Jesus speaking, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So what's the Lord promised us there if we seek the kingdom first? It's the necessities of life. He just mentioned that a few verses earlier. but also those that would be upon sand, the foundation upon a sand, could overwhelmingly be of those of the things of the world. In Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 37, Jesus asks one of the most sobering questions, likely, that's found in all of the New Testament, in all of his teachings. And it hits each of us home. For what shall it profit a man, if he shall gain the whole world And lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For we see in our world, for some that's money, for some that's jobs, for some that's the most little mundane things of life, and again it's turned into idolatry for so many individuals and for so many individuals in the church that have apostatized. May we not make that mistake as Christians. May we not make that mistake in our everyday walks of life, with our jobs, but be thankful for them and thankful for our health and thankful for all those things that God blesses us with. Jesus also warns us in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Our possessions in life can be so appealing to us, but they, all not, they cannot rule over the church and over our duties for the church. For if they do, we're guilty of idolatry, and we're going to have to answer before God on the day of judgment for that. And as you ask each of yourselves, and as I do the same of mine, with stealing within our children the concept of that we will live forever. At the time of our conception, Zechariah chapter 12, 1 says, God put the spirit of man within us. That happens at the time of conception. And that spirit will live in this flesh for a while. But then what comes after is everything. What comes after is an eternity. And that word today really does not get the appreciation that it deserves. Eternity is literally forever. We are going to live forever when we leave this physical body at the point of death. For those of us in the audience tonight May you cherish the day that you obeyed the gospel. That may have been 15, 20, 30, 60, maybe even 70 years ago. But that day was an eternity change for you. You put on the Lord in baptism that day. And your citizenship at that point was said to be in heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 says... For our conversation, or our uh, citizenship, is in heaven, from whence also we, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our, li- change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work, whereby he is able even to, subst- to subdue all, all things unto himself." A picture of the judgment is given there. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye when the Lord returns. And of course, at the moment of our death, if the Lord delays his coming and we pass from this life in death, we will then be in that place of either paradise or again Tartarus until the day of judgment, as we learned in our last lesson before tonight, do you have a citizenship in heaven? The crucifixion of our Lord paved the way in that you can have that. If you don't, do something about that tonight. If you have obeyed the gospel and you are not faithful tonight, maybe you haven't put forth the example of a godly mother or father towards your children or towards your family members or maybe even those that you come in contact with. Repent of that. Repent of those things, if that be the need of your life. We'll pray for you. And that second law of pardon is given in First John chapter 1, verses 9. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We'll pray for you and God's promise to forgive you if you need the care and provision tonight in your life spiritually, come down this aisle tonight. We'll assist you. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you've never put the Lord on in baptism, it is required of you that you hear the word, Romans ten seventeen, that you believe with all your heart that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died, and that you believe in him entirely, Mark sixteen fifteen. that you repent of past sins in your life with the intent to do them no more Luke 13:3 confess his wonderful name as the son of God Romans 10 chapter, chapter Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 and lastly be baptized in water for the remission of your sins he will then add you to the church once you come in contact to his saving blood and if you remain faithful until death Revelation 2:10 heaven will be your home If we can assist you tonight in these ways, we ask you come while together we stand and while we sing.